Welcome to today's episode of Ownership Matters, a podcast for homeowners and resident-owned communities, brought to you by Rock USA. I'm Paul Bradley. And I'm Mike Bullard. Listeners, we have a very special guest for you today. Andrea Levere, Rock USA's board chair, has joined us. Mike, tell us a little bit about Andrea's background for us, would you? Happy to. Andrea Levere is executive fellow at the Yale School of Management. In this role, Andrea wrote the Blueprint for Enterprise Capital. She's working with several foundations and the Federal Reserve Banks of New York and San Francisco to advance the practice of enterprise capital, an approach that aims to scale nonprofits through a new approach to philanthropy. She is President Emerita of Prosperity Now, an organization that designs and operates major national initiatives serving low-income people by building assets and savings. She stepped down in August 2019 after spending 15 years as president and 27 years with the organization. In 2013, President Obama appointed Andrea to the National Cooperative Bank's Board of Directors, and she has recently been appointed as board chair of their new CDFI, Rochdale Capital. She's also the founding and current board chair of Rock USA. Andrea has also served on the FDIC's Committee on Economic Inclusion, Morgan Stanley's Community Development Advisory Board, Capital One's Community Advisory Council, as well as the chair of the board of directors of the Ms. Foundation for Women. She holds a bachelor's degree from Brown University and an MBA from Yale University. Andrea, it is wonderful to have you join us on Ownership Matters. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. And this is no small episode because one, it kicks off our third season of Ownership Matters, of course, following our year in review, but also it is on the very eve of Rock USA's 15th anniversary. To our viewers, you've heard her bio, but you all know now that Andrea Levere has been the board chair at Rock USA for 15 years, really ushering us into existence and you know what we are today after 15 years. So thank you for all of that, Andrea. It's been my pleasure. We're going to kick off here today by going all the way back before Rock USA was even an idea to when you and I first met each other over 20 years ago. Amazing. It was a time you were the vice president at the Corporation for Enterprise Development, CFED, as it was affectionately known, and what today is now Prosperity Now. And you were leading a small grant program when you and I first met. And I think that was all the way back in 2001. So can you tell our listeners what you recall from that first application about manufactured housing? Absolutely. The program we were running was called the Local Capital Markets Investment Fund. And our goal was to really help fund innovators on the ground, which has been a theme that has continued my whole career, who are creating new ways of supporting low-income individuals and homeowners to build wealth. So we looked for innovative approaches to long-term problems, and suddenly we got a proposal from Paul Bradley at the New Hampshire Community Loan Fund, who had this quite interesting idea to create a mortgage product to serve the owners of manufactured homes in resident-owned communities in New Hampshire, where they were one of the only states that authorized mortgages in these communities. And it was quite a modest proposal, but we already knew about the loan fund and had great respect for it. We had heard about the groundbreaking work it was doing in the conversion 
of manufactured housing communities to resident-owned communities. And uh, we decided to invest. And that's how we met. That was, I remember one of our phone calls, by the way, and my daughter Jane was about to be born just before that. And uh, I think I actually postponed a call because of because of Jane coming along just at that time. Uh, no, so I, I tr- remember I remember that you were a day or two late in submitting the final uh, and you said, you've got to excuse me. My daughter was just born. <laughs> and I said, that's the best excuse I could imagine. <laughs> I've been a day or two late for everything since, uh, and I keep I keep putting it back on Jane's shoulders. Uh, so that's great. That's a way to do it. <laughs> so, Andrea, how how did an investment in financing manufactured housing in resident-owned communities fit into CFED's mission and strategy? Was this your first foray into manufactured housing, and how did it make sense to you at the time? At this point, which was in two thousand and one. We were in the process of really building out the asset building field in the entire country. And what we were doing is we were raising up the fact that wealth creation was as important as income in addressing poverty. And in fact, was probably the more enduring strategy. And we felt a very neglected strategy. So the decade before, we had advanced a national demonstration to scale individual development accounts or match savings accounts called the American Dream Demonstration. And there were three eligible uses of those accounts. One was for home ownership, a second was for business development, and a third was for education. And in one of those magical moments in 1998, we passed legislation for a national program of individual development accounts, even before we finished our demonstration. It was one of those things that almost never happened in real life. So we already understood the power of home ownership as an asset building or wealth creation strategy. And we had no programs of our own that besides match savings were focused on advancing home ownership. So it was really in this context that the work around manufactured housing and resident-owned communities made so much sense for this. The other key issue about manufactured housing, which we learned very quickly, is that it was the most affordable of all the housing development strategies in the country. Oh, very true. I mean, still manufactured housing in communities falls in that gap between rental and home ownership, and very few programs address that. We'll be talking a lot more about that in 2023 because the price initiative, the new federal legislation, really was motivated in part because people recognize there's a gap between traditional affordable housing programs and this emerging sector of really vital affordable housing homes in manufactured housing communities. So this is a a great setup for that, Andrea. And that really is uh, for our listeners, a great introduction to asset building strategies in the United States. And Andrea has been one of the leaders in that field for a long time, not outing you or anything, Andrea, but you have been. You had become president of Prosperity Now not long after that wise investment in manufactured housing. And then uh, a fellow came about, uh, George McCarthy at the Ford Foundation. And not surprisingly, 
Prosperity Now was a part of the conversation and work he was doing to investigate the manufactured housing sector as the New Hampshire Community Loan Fund was in New Hampshire. So take us back early 2000s after your first investment, then Prosperity Now sort of jumped in with both feet. Talk how about that happened. That. Yeah. Soon after I became president, I recruited onto our staff a man named Dave Buchholz from um, Self-Help Credit Union. And when he joined us, he said, you know, I'm part of a special initiative, an exploratory committee to help George McCarthy at the Ford Foundation develop a strategy for investing in manufactured housing. Would you mind if I continued this work while I was working for CFED at the time? I said, absolutely not. And as a result of the work of this incredibly wise committee, we created really a four-part theory of change, which guided our work for the next decade. And that really was number one, how do we focus on manufactured housing done right? How do we build these homes so they're sustainable and over time energy efficient and healthy? How do we support resident ownership as a key element in solving the issue that homeowners own their home, but not the land underneath? How do we advance public policy to support homeowners and support the creation of a dynamic asset class of homes that can serve the folks we most cared about? And finally, how do we solve the extraordinary dilemma, and we'll talk about this, which still remains largely unsolved, of providing owners of manufactured homes with high-quality, single-family finance. Really phenomenal work. Those four legs of that chair have sustained the um, home initiative and really the strategy in terms of nonprofits coming into the manufactured housing space and homeowners who come in and and see the work of the nonprofits in the market uh, have really sustained the movement for going on 20 years now. Really powerful framework, and it's really set to organize a lot of new entrants into the field of social innovation here in the in the manufactured housing space. So outstanding work, Andrea. Take us back to the start of Rock USA. I'm thinking 2007. Of course, we launched in May of 2008, but I'm always curious, how was the work in New Hampshire viewed nationally by practitioners and funders? Yeah, because you really were a national practitioner and deeply tied into the funding community philanthropy. Talk about how other organizations saw this and how they got engaged in the development of Rock USA. So I think, you know, it was really through that first investment we made in the loan fund and you creating this mortgage product that we began to connect at the conferences of the Local Capital Markets Investment Fund with other agencies and others interested in doing manufactured housing. And so that gave us a deeper insight into this. But as we took on the responsibility of I'm Home, and we created our theory of change, it was really clear that there needed to be a scaled social venture out of the New Hampshire Community Loan Fund. And I remember that the Ford Foundation organized a meeting in New Hampshire, right, where we all came together 
and you and I were sitting at a table and I looked at you and I said, all right, Paul, you've got to lead this. You've got to take this work national and you have to scale it so that we can do that. And that was really, I mean, you clearly were thinking about this before, but I remember so clearly that meal and helping to move that forward step by step. But the other magical moment was Mm -hmm. during this time, I was at a conference where the current president of the Ford Foundation was, Susan Beresford. And I managed to sit next to her at lunch. And it was a moment where before the crash, where the stock market had done extraordinarily well. And so the foundation had something called reserves. They had excess money that they had to give away above and beyond their budget. And so I pitched the work we were doing and we ended up getting a $10 million reserve grant, half of which was for Rock USA and half of which was for CFEDs on home. And as we both know, and has been immortalized in case studies, that made all the difference given the incredible financial crisis that awaited us. Yeah. So Rock USA was started with $7 million, which is in hindsight, it felt large at the time. And in hindsight, I would say could have been two or three times that, but we survived that 2008 crisis in a large part. You're right, Andrea, because of the, of the strong balance sheet that we started with and then really started picking up traction in 2011, 2012. But thank goodness for that. Great storytelling. I absolutely love it. And what a flashback. It strikes me that a lot of uh, the biggest developments uh, in Rock USA happened at meals. Because I, in addition yeah. to this, I remember the story about uh, Lois Paris's house that we've had on previous episodes where there was a lot of discussion about how this was going to happen over her dining room table, right? But speaking of rock leaders, Andrea, you've worked with a lot of rock leaders over the years, especially those uh, on the Rock USA board. Uh, When it started, there was one rock leader on the board who was appointed. And as of 2013, there are three rock leaders who serve on the Rock USA board and are elected by their peers from across the country, which is pretty special. And I don't know if it's unique, but it's pretty unusual. What are some of your fondest memories around those rock leaders? Well, I love that you raised Lois Paris, because obviously she was the first leader that I was able to work with. And what was extraordinary about Lois was that she was so clear-eyed in what she was doing and where she was going, yet so soft-spoken in her approach, which meant that she could convince anybody of anything, right? (laughs) Because she completely came across as the loveliest mother you could imagine, right? But she was keen and was at the really cutting edge of how do we turn this work into a movement. My next experience was with probably the most memorable leader we've ever had. And you already know who I'm talking about. And Mm -hmm. that is Natividad Seafeld, who has labored under severe illness, personal challenges to be one of the most eloquent politically astute, and entertaining leaders in this. (laughs) There is no one she will not invite to her community to show off what they've accomplished, but also 
to be clear about what's necessary to be sustainable as a resident of the community. She was an extraordinary voice on the board. And I do think in many ways, her insights and value led us to restructure our board and governance so that that kind of representation was at the heart of how we were better together, as Paul always reminds me, Mm -hmm. which is the motto that we have and the way we both manage and execute our work. The other thing I'll say, Mike, is that when we first designed the last strategic planning process to really highlight the input of the rock leaders, and I want to give a shout out to NeighborWorks America, who provided the rock leaders with hands-on consulting services and coaching services, which really helped them build their association and their engagement But the eloquence and the insights and the values that these leaders brought to our strategic plan was really a profound experience in terms of how we grew this organization and laid the foundation for where we are today, which I think many of us could not imagine seven years ago. And that process continued this year. Obviously, COVID-related events changed that some degree. Mm -hmm. But it still has been an earmark of how we operate and the insights that drive our work. That's wonderful to hear. And I'm curious, from your experience with other national organizations, how this, our deep engagement of ROC leaders at every level of the organization, including three directors who are elected to the ROC USA board, how does that compare with other national organizations you work with? because you have such a wide resume in the community development field. Yeah, and I think it's, is there another organization that does it exactly like Rock USA that I know? I can't think of one. Are there other organizations that do something in a similar spirit, Mm -hmm. even though not in the, the exact same way? Yes. When I led Prosperity Now, we had a phrase, nothing about us without us. And so as we designed programs or products to build financial capability or build savings, we always worked at the community level to help design those products because we didn't know what really mattered. So I think it's an interesting question based on the business model of different nonprofits of how they either do engage with their communities that they serve or don't. But at the same time, the way we have is quite different than what I've seen before. Mm. Well, we hear it all the time now in community development, community engagement, community-driven change. I'm really proud of our rock leaders who really over the 40 years of resident ownership have been stepping up, uh, not just in their communities, but certainly with local government and for a long time at the state level. And now we actually have rock leaders that are stepping up at a national or federal level, which is really pretty inspiring. And we're going to talk more about that upcoming here. So I'll leave that at, leave that there. Well, I wanted to take back to having you talk a little bit about Rock USA and because of your personal and long volunteer commitment to this organization. And I should point out to our listeners, Andrea, volunteers her time as Rock USA's board chair and does so 
uh, with amazing dedication and has for a long, long time. Andrea, what's your proudest accomplishment here at Rock USA? So I'll say I don't just have one. As everybody who worked for me knows, I always think in threes. So I'm going to give you three. So one I've already said was really to help secure the initial $10 million that launched Rock USA and I'm home from the Ford Foundation. So that was absolutely one. The second really is helping to build what I consider to be a highly effective board that engages in the right ways, Mm -hmm. right? Provides guidance, sets a standard of really high quality advice and engagement on committees without micromanaging, because that's not what you want to happen. And then I think the third thing, particularly given the extraordinary growth and evolution over the last several years, is really supporting the staff's ability to evolve the organizational structure and responsibilities over time to meet the needs of the organization, both up until now and in the future. Great. Further adaptation. And since you tipped your hat to the future, let's talk a little bit about the future. We've just been through a a strategic planning process We actually revisited our vision and goals through this process, and then the board approved four strategic priorities. We'll post those for our listeners in the show notes. And Andrea, I just wanted to maybe just get your reaction. We don't need to delve deeply into the strategic plan, but just your reaction. What excites you about this new vision and mission statements or any of the goals? Well, the first is that we were able to capture the mission and the vision in just one sentence, which for each of them, I thought was an extraordinary accomplishment. And really to frame out what we were trying to do, as well as how we imagined we create uh, opportunity to build sustainable and resilient communities. There's three things about our strategic goals, which to me are most critical and exciting. Mm -hmm. So the first goes back to the point I just made about restructuring ourselves to serve as a national intermediary for both federal funding and other national sources to really help build the infrastructure of manufactured housing communities all over the country and to create state-level pools of capital to address the changes in the marketplace that have happened because of the unprecedented acquisition of affordable housing and of manufactured housing communities by private investors. The second piece is how we have reimagined our service delivery to be able to serve communities that are in all different levels of readiness to become resident-owned communities and in all different places where we may or may not have a partner on the ground who can help facilitate this. Our ability to work directly with communities, our ability to work directly with rock leaders to really advance a movement, and then our ability to create the investment capital that's necessary to really accomplish our goals. Mm -hmm. And then the last piece is really a phenomenal success in building out training and peer learning and leveraging technology, particularly in this pandemic era, but ongoing, to really share 
what we've learned and how we build the capacity in these communities to be successful. I mean, you really think about they're running businesses, three to $10 million businesses. That capacity, I just think, is transformative over time and is really going to allow us to continue to scale. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Andrea, you'll see at the next board meeting, our training and continuous learning team, our online training platform, Rocket, has just released Rock 100, which is co-op leader level online training for basics. The first topic being parliamentary procedure. I just love it. And uh, finally- it's like a song. We, uh, two years in the making. You know, people think this, this stuff comes easily, but it's capacity, it's resources, and then it's personnel and learning management system and building the basics. And uh, here we're finally there. Andrea, where do you see the big opportunities for Rocks and Rock USA going forward? Well, I think one of the issues that we focused on in great depth at our strategic planning convening is really environmental sustainability. We need to be on the cutting edge of helping to support the manufacturing of more efficient homes, being able to achieve energy cost savings for our homeowners and identifying all the technologies, solar technologies, other technologies that can help us bring the full benefits of these to our homeowners and make sure that we are doing the best we can to support the sustainability of these communities. So that's number one. And the other piece is really bringing forth and connecting diverse leaders in this movement. You know, there are, one of the, the issues I haven't mentioned, and I can't believe I haven't, is from the very beginning, we have been combating the stigma of manufactured housing, trailer parks, and those who live in them. And what we have learned over the last 15 years is that the population of homeowners is very diverse. It varies significantly by geography, but it's our responsibility to really work together with different communities, whether Latino communities, African-American communities, or indigenous communities, to ensure that we're providing the same level of resources to them and the opportunities for resident ownership that other communities have had. So we really want to raise up a diverse leadership within our network and ensure that their communities have all the benefits that they deserve. That's really well said, Andrea. And that's definitely looking down the road. Again, back to Rock 100, available in both English and Spanish on Rocket. I'm so excited about that. I can't contain myself. And absolutely, I think about environmental sustainability, community resiliency, energy efficiency as cost savings. Everything's gotten more expensive. And there's a real opportunity, as you said, in some of the federal legislation, but there's a real opportunity to lower energy cost. And let's take this opportunity to, to nail that because people need the relief. And it's just gotten very expensive and people are holding on. So let's do the work together. I remember um, when Stacey Epperson described one of the experiences of replacing an aging manufactured home with an energy efficient home. And the power provider was so worried about the dramatic drop in usage 
that he called Stacy up because he thought the owner of the home had died. And they went and she showed him what the impact of the energy efficient home was, usage and management of power. It was an incredible story. Similar story. I remember out of Massachusetts, a community that switched their street lighting from the old sodium lights to modern LEDs. And there was an investment up front to replace that hardware, but it was a matter of months until they had recouped the savings. And then it was all icing on the cake from there. Yep, Yep. exactly. Absolutely. There is money to be saved. Let's do it. Well, Andrea, what a tremendous pleasure to have you on Ownership Matters. And thank you for picking our chins up, our listeners' chins up, and looking down the road a little bit here as we think about the future and and what we're all crafting. So thank you for all you do for Rock USA, but thank you especially today for joining us on Ownership Matters. And thank you for all the work you do and making it possible to be here. Wow, Mike. So our listeners there have just gotten real insight into some of the secret sauce to Rock USA. Andrea Levere has been a champion for resident ownership and for Rock USA and all the communities we serve. I don't think most people realize it, but she, as a volunteer, has dedicated, well, what is close to 20 years of time energy to helping advance this. And it was just great having her on the show today. And humbling when you when you listen to her qualifications and her experience on these other committees and boards and presidential appointments, uh, to think that she's stuck with Rock USA through thick and thin, though most of it thick, since the first day. We've seen the pictures here in the office of her cutting the cake on the day that Rock USA launched, right? <laughs> Indeed, Mike. She has really been tireless. Can't thank her enough. I tell her all the time that we would not be anywhere close to where we are today without her. I think our listeners now have a little better insight into that. Here, here. Well, thanks for joining us on today's very special episode of Ownership Matters. Is there an uplifting story happening in your community that we should talk about in an upcoming episode? Well, just let us know by sending us an email at ownershipmatters at rockusa.org. That's ownershipmatters at rocusa.org. And please do contact us with anything you'd love to hear us explore further. It's really a lot of fun on this side and and we're hoping to make it fun on your side. So thanks for joining us and talk soon, everyone. Take care.